alive with Christ. We are discovering our spiritual riches in the book of Ephesians. It's been a great journey so far. We're up to chapter four now. We're going to cover about half of the chapter today, and we begin in verse one. But before we begin, remember Ephesus. I told you about it. It's a major cultural hub. It's where all the merchants are coming, and it has tons of diversity. Now, this diversity is spilling over into the church. So when Paul talks about unity, just remember that we're not looking at a nice, sweet idea of unity in a vacuum. We're talking about all kinds of people, all nationalities, all cultures coming together in Ephesus. Not everybody gets along, okay? But now some of them are in Christ and they have a reason to get along. They have a reason to flourish together. All right, so we begin in verse 1. He says, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling with which you've been called. All right, so again, prisoner comes up. He's been in prison. He's in jail. He's writing from there. And notice how he inspires them. I just want you to think about how we are being inspired today versus what the Apostle Paul is doing. Because what Paul is doing is very different. He is saying, do you know your calling? Do you know how awesome you are? Do you know that we're brothers and sisters in Christ, that we have an incredible mission, that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, like we've been infused with the, the life of Christ, the resurrection power of Jesus? Do you know your calling? You're a saint. You're holy. You're blameless. Do you not realize how good you've got it? therefore walk. Now that's very different from uh, you need to get closer to God. You need to prepare your heart for Easter. You need to prepare your heart for Christmas. You need to prepare your heart for God. You need to try to get right and get clean and get close and you're out of fellowship and you need to keep short accounts and you need to, and you need to, and you need to, because there's a deficit and a distance and a deficit and a distance and you need to make up for lost time and you need to make up for your many sins and you need to prove your love for God. That's guilt. It's guilt and manipulation, and it's a carrot on a stick, man. And what Paul is saying is, you've got the carrot, you've got the stick, you've got the whole enchilada up front. You're blessed with every spiritual blessing, no manipulation, no guilt trip. And what he's saying is, you've got a calling. You have a destiny. So now that I've laid out for three chapters what your destiny and your calling are, doesn't it make sense to walk in a manner that is worthy of your calling? Why be who you are but not act out who you are? What a contradiction and alarms will go off and it won't fulfill and it won't work for you because look at you, you're beautiful. People call into the radio program, I'm struggling with pornography. You know what I say? I say, you're awesome. And they say, what? Yeah, you're awesome. You're holy, righteous, blameless. Now walk that way. But if I tell them, oh, you've been, you've been struggling with pornography. Well, you're dirty and rotten and you're distant and you need to, you're out of the will and out of fellowship and out. Of, well, then guess what? They're going to act like who they believe they are. If I believe I'm dirty and distant, I'm going to act that way. 
If I believe I'm clean and close, I'm going to act that way. Now, only one of those two is true. Are you clean and close or dirty and distant? And Paul is telling them for three chapters, and even now, you've got a calling because you're clean and you're close. Now, walk in a way that fits. Look at you. You're awesome. You got an awesome new heart, a new nature, a new spirit, united with Christ, one with him. Whoa, all the motivation in the world. And check it out. It's positive, not negative. You could, you could keep on doing what you've been doing, whatever it is, you know, being critical or talking about people or struggling with jealousy, entertaining all those. You could keep on doing that. You're forgiven. You could keep on. But look at you. You don't really want that. You're awesome. You have a new heart that hates sin. Look at you. Resurrection life is inside of you. Now, he says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Now, all the type A personalities, we get out our legal pad and we say, okay, I'm going to work on this. Now, Paul said, let's see. Number one, humility. Oh, man, I'm getting good at humility. <laughs> Wait. Number two, gentleness. I'm going to be real gentle. I'm going to count to 10 before I do anything. I'll make it sound real soft, even if I end up hating myself for being a doormat. And then, well, I'm going to, I'm going to focus on love. I'm going to try to love my best today. When we don't understand, hear this, when we don't understand that we're alive with Christ and that he is our life, then we target individual attributes. We target individual traits and characteristics, and we try to get good at them. Do you hear this? But so does the world. Ask any unbeliever in a marriage that he, he or she wants to flourish. Well, I'm working on love, trying to love, working on being more patient. Now, let's get that guy saved. All right, now he's got Christ living in him. What's he being told? Well, you need to pray for more patience. Lord, I pray that you'd bring me more patience. I don't know, like in a parachute, kind of fall from heaven, a little package of patience today. And then tomorrow I'm going to need love. And then the next day I'm going to need gentleness. And we're looking for little party favors and packages of attributes to get through life. Give me patience, Lord. And you know what is really going on? He's saying, I'm your patience and I'm your love, and I'm your wisdom, and I'm your gentleness, and I'm your life. Don't look for something new to come. Live from inside out where I dwell inside of you. Christ is your life. I hope you hear this because anybody in a self-help program, anybody in a world religion, anybody in a country club church setting could just sort of say, well, let's all be good people. And here's a 10-week series on 10 characteristics that we're going to work on this semester. But what Paul is saying is put on love, put on Christ, because Christ lives in you. Put on gentleness, put on humility. Why? Because you are humble. Everybody in this room, if you are in Christ, everybody watching, if you are in Jesus, you are humble in heart. He gave you a new heart, and it's not arrogant. You might be confident, but it's not arrogant. You have a new heart that is loving and gentle, and he's saying put on what matches 
who you already are. Wear some clothes that fit who you are. Walk in a manner that is worthy. Do what is fitting, he says elsewhere. He says it. Do what is fitting for saints. Wear clothes that fit. All right, so now I'm getting dressed from the inside out if you follow me. So this is mystical. Don't miss it. It's mystical. What I mean by that is the only reason you end up behaving is because Jesus rose from the dead and lives in you. The only reason you end up acting right is because you believe he's risen from the dead, resides in you, and inspires you with exactly what Paul has told us, gentleness and love and patience. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So you guys are from different races, different nationalities. You come to this hub of, of commerce, Ephesus. You guys uh, have so many different backgrounds and belief systems, and uh, uh, you're from different socioeconomic. Some of you are really wealthy. Some of you are not, and we're gathered here, and we're used to judging each other. And he's saying, don't let it happen. I don't judge anyone according to the flesh, meaning their reputation, their nationality, their background, their skin color. Paul says, recognize no one according to the flesh, but see them with those God-given eyes, spiritual eyes. Being diligent to preserve this unity in the spirit. So I want you to notice we've actually already got the unity. I belong to you. And you belong to me. We belong to each other. We have the unity. Let's preserve it. There is one body and one spirit, just as you also were called in one hope of your calling. All right. So you see the word one. He's not done with one. He goes on in the next verse and he talks more about this oneness. But think of an orchestra. Uh, you know, an orchestra, everyone has a part to play, everyone has an instrument, everyone has a role, and when you step back and look at it, it's glorious and beautiful and magnificent, but only when people are playing their role. And that's what Paul is saying here. Let's come together, recognize each other's value. We all have limitations. We're meant to belong to each other. But we're also bigger than something, bigger than ourselves. We're, we're part of something that's larger than our individual contribution. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in, in all. All right, what about two baptisms? Come on. I thought there was two baptisms. You know, you get the initial baptism, you get started. And then you get the second baptism, the second blessing, the second outpouring, the second portion, you know. You, you were saved, but now you need to be uh, quickened, quickened. You were saved, but now you need to be sealed. You were saved, but now you need the gift of tongues. You were saved, but now you need an extra dose, like a little whipped cream of the Holy Spirit on top, you know. A little cherry to go with it. This is the kind of stuff that's out there today. Now, remember, this is the same Paul who said, you're complete. You got everything you need. 
for life and godliness, you're lacking nothing. So don't go shopping and begging and pleading and hoping and waiting for more when you've got everything you need. You're complete in him. When they come a-knocking, and they will, I'm not talking about the folks on the bicycles, all right? But they'll come knocking at the doorway of your belief system. They will. They'll say, it's great that you're a Christian, but... And then they'll sell you the sales pitch of self-improvement where you simply need a little bit more of Jesus, a little bit more of the Spirit, a little bit more of, and you fill in the blank. And the summation of that, the premise, is that you're not complete. So the only way to combat that is to know that you're complete. You see that? You got to believe that you have enough in Christ right here, right now. Otherwise, you're going to be tossed back and forth by every wind of doctrine that hits you. One Lord, one faith. All right. He says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, if you don't know what he's talking about yet, he's going to tell you, but it's spiritual gifts. That's where he's going. He's going to talk about evangelism. He's going to talk about pastors and teachers. He's talking about the foundation of the church. He's talking about gifts. He's going to quote from the Old Testament about gifts. But here's what I want you to notice. Even as he's getting started, What does he say about spiritual gifts? They're doled out as Jesus decides. Jesus picks what's going on. So you don't sit around wishing you were somebody else, and you don't sit around trying to be somebody else, and I don't host a class afterwards, after church on Sunday, where I teach you to have a spiritual gift. You know, the tongues class the prophecy class. No, no, they're not taught. They're given by Jesus. So, and we can talk about what prophecy is. I mean, the building up, the edifying of the church, that's what it really is in the New Testament. It's not forecasting or future telling. Paul says it's for edification. It's for consoling people when they're hurting. Even New Testament prophecy is different than we think. We keep thinking of Old Testament prophecy, Isaiah and Jeremiah. We keep thinking of future predictions like a crystal ball showing us what's going to happen next. Who's going to win the Super Bowl? Who's the next uh, president of the United States? Who, who is the, the man of lawlessness or the Antichrist, the so-called antichrist who who is what is my future please tell me will i be in china next year you know and we're making predictions we're putting our hands on people's heads and that's not prophecy new testament prophecy is taking the gospel which has already been spoken and it's applying it to your life to console you and edify you and exhort you That's what Paul says in Corinthians. So what I'm saying is whatever the gift is, if you're an encourager, if you're an exhorter, if you're a consoler, if you're a a person who who enjoys hospitality, uh, if love, the greatest gift of all, is what God has gifted you with, congratulations, first of all, because love is kind of a big deal. But secondly, Jesus is running the show. We don't have courses. We don't have imitation. Repeat after me. Uh Uh-uh. Spiritual gifts are not taught. There are talents that are taught or, you know, mentored or fostered 
But spiritual gifts, as Paul describes them, are given according to Jesus' desire. Therefore, it says, quoting the Old Testament in Psalms, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. The first big clue, he's talking about spiritual gifts. Now, let's dive in. He says, now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? So what is Paul saying? Remember, this is Jesus, not just on a cross, but in a tomb, in the ground, under the earth, and then he ascends to the right hand of God, and then he goes, you know what? I want to share. Remember, this is all about God showing off. We've seen this in Ephesians. Do you remember? We have again and again said that Jesus did what he did so that God would show off. And God is showing off his grace to you and me through Jesus. So Jesus crucified, buried, raised, seated at the right hand of God, and then starts dealing out the grace, right? And it's not uneven. There's no partiality with God. We're going to see there's no levels. You don't level up like in your favorite video game. You don't get a free man when you die either. You don't need one. You're a new man. But you don't level up. We're all on an equal playing field. He who descended is himself. Also, he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. You say, what is this about all things? Well, remember, you got your Jews and you got your Gentiles and you got infighting and you got jealousy and the Jews are saying, you don't deserve this. The Jews are saying, we got the prophets, Isaiah, come on, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, come on, Egypt. You remember the trek out of Egypt? Like our people deserve this gospel. What are you doing, Paul? And Paul, in a way here, is hinting at, come on, Jesus raised and seated, and now he's looking to all things and all people. When the Son of Man is lifted up, he will draw all people unto himself. There's no partiality with God. All right, so this is what he's getting at, all of this flowery language. Now he's going to dive into specifics. He gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Are there apostles today? Well, there are traveling messengers. If that's what you mean, there are traveling messengers today, obviously. We might call them missionaries in some regard today, but there are no apostles like the original. No one is drafting a new scripture you know, Paul says, am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Okay, so in order to be an apostle, you'll notice they all had an encounter with Christ. So there's a criteria. Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Even Paul on the road to Damascus, he had that encounter with Jesus. All right, so then we got prophets, which I talked about, not future telling, evangelism, sharing the truth with unbelievers, and then pastors and teachers. Now, I got to say, I'm just going to mention that there, in, even in grace communities where good stuff is being taught, people have started to question whether pastors and teachers should exist. That's a bit ironic because we take in a whole lot of stuff from pastors and teachers, and then we start to question whether pastors and teachers should exist. 
And then also, you know, there's even questions about, what, you know, are we doing church right? You could pick at the format, right? Oh, we need to be seated a different way. Oh, we, you know, I can't believe that church over there has stained glass. Uh, you know, I can't believe those pews those people sit in. Oh, I, I, I can't believe the way they gather and they face forward. Well, you know, it's been 2,000 years, and uh, we got churches that have like uh, 10,000 people in them, 30,000 people. We got stadiums in some cases. So should we just shut down because we don't like the format? Or how about we also meet in homes, home groups, fellowship, coffee shops, hangout, where two or more are gathered? Why criticize the format when, in fact, I would say there is a pressing need in the church today? You know what it is? It's not a different format. It's not get rid of that stained glass. It's not please sit in a chair instead of a pew. It's not please move your chair and rotate it 45 degrees so you can look at each other. That's not our biggest problem. Our biggest problem is that we're not spreading and sharing the truth of the gospel. I mean, we've got one little schmidgen. Can I say that? One little schmidgen of the gospel, right? For getting saved. Here's your ticket to heaven by grace through faith. And then everybody get to work. Do more, be more. Try harder. Rededicate. Recommit. Your heart's not right. Die to self. You're falling out of God's will. Get right and stay right. And here's the method, the formula, the steps. Here's how. And then we give them a laundry list. And just when they're exhausted, we bring them back next week for another laundry list. I mean, this is what the planet seems to be used to. This is status, the status quo. So we got bigger problems than throwing stones at format. Now, clearly, there's pastors, which this word means shepherd. It's a shepherd. It's an overseer. It's taking great care. You got teachers who uh, share information from the scriptures. You got evangelists who are helping people get saved. Uh, you got prophets who are consoling and exhorting. You got the apostles who laid the foundation. All right. So look at this toolbox. I mean, here's a good picture. Look at all those tools. Now, is, one, is a wrench more important than a screwdriver? I mean, what's your argument there that a wrench is more important than a screwdriver? Is a screwdriver more important than a hammer? So all of a sudden, we need everything in there because there's all kinds of jobs that need to get done. And this is what Paul is saying. We're of equal value in the body of Christ for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. It's about building us up. And notice that spiritual gifts, I'm going to touch on a sensitive topic here. Spiritual gifts are not for you to edify you. Spiritual gifts are for the equipping of other people. Who knew other people not edifying yourself? If you want to dive into that and even debate that, 1 Corinthians 14, Paul talks about those who edify themselves in the church and they're not edifying anybody else. He's criticizing that, not recommending it. He is saying you're talking into the air. You're, you're, you're talking as if you're just speaking into the wind and only God understands. 
And so he's saying spiritual gifts are not to edify ourselves, but other people. Remember, the body of Christ with every member being equally important, this was totally countercultural to Ephesus. I mean, come on, you had your rich people and your poor people. You had this ethnicity and that one. You had your Greek speakers and you had those who weren't educated and you had these and you had the philosophers and the profound people and the slick talkers and the persuasive one. You had all these different people and it was natural to create a hierarchy. But Paul just takes that and dashes it against the rocks. And he says, we're all one, the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So he's talking about unity, but I also want you to see in a world of Gnosticism, you know Gnosticism where they talked about secret knowledge of secret information you know, I watched a documentary on uh, Scientology, you know, and they interview these people and uh, they say, how was it, you know, and, and they say, well, here's how it went. I lived my whole life given millions of dollars to get the secret suitcase, the secret suitcase of knowledge. And at the end of my life, I opened the secret suitcase and it was a bunch of little strips of paper with nonsense on it. So then I quit Scientology. So you got Christian science, mind over matter. You got Scientology, pursuing secret knowledge. These are all offshoots, man, of what was originally, I mean, the first big movement after the cross to really try this was Gnosticism, the worship of knowledge, secret knowledge. So Paul in the midst of all this talk, you got the Stoics and the Epicureans and you got the Gnostics, you got all these philosophers coming together and Paul says, no, no, it's not secret information. It's knowledge of a person, knowledge of the Son of God. And that's a personal knowledge, a familiarity. So I, I'm going to be, be, be leveling with you here. I mean, it, it's really humbling because the other one puffs you up. Look at all the stuff I know. And, and, and the opposite is look at Jesus, whom I know. Look at all the stuff I know, or look at Jesus, whom I know. All right, so are you getting any oakier? Are you getting more holy? Are you getting more blameless? No, you're not getting any oakier, are you? But you are growing and maturing. Your nature isn't changing, but you're growing and maturing. Now, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried out by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. All right, so what's he mean there? Again, it's the Gnosticism. Remember, Gnosticism was a false teaching that emphasized secret knowledge for salvation. And what Paul is saying is, don't be tossed about by every doctrine that hits your door. Now, I would ask you, what are the doctrines today that hit your door? And you know what? There are a lot of them. 
The health-wealth gospel hits your door, every wind of doctrine. You could be healthy all the time. You could be wealthy all the time. The you-need-more-of-Jesus doctrine hits your door. Uh, All kinds of things about how, boy, if you just follow the formula, then you'll be all right with God. And if you don't, well, you need to be more like us. (laughs) Peer pressure. So there's lots of crazy doctrines. Every wind of it is out there. And in fact, Paul says it's the trickery of men. I've met some people who uh, teach that health wealth gospel. And they lie and hide their own physical ailments. I hear them whispering in the corner about their back pain and shoulder pain. You know why? They're not allowed to have it. They should be able to apply their own doctrine, and they can't because it's the trickery of men. And so Paul is saying, watch out for the trickery and deceitfulness of those doctrines. Then, verse 15, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Every distraction under the sun and then Jesus oh, but I'm bored with Jesus, then you don't know Jesus. You need to get to know Jesus more. If you think you need Jesus plus something, then you don't know Jesus very well. Jesus is not boring. And when he lives in you and he invites you to the greatest thing ever, what's not to like? I don't get it. What's not to like? You're forgiven no matter what. You're accepted. You're off the chain accepted. You're amazingly embraced by God no matter what. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. So you're forgiven and righteous and blameless and holy and bonded and fused to Christ. This is the best thing on the planet. What's not to like? Remember, Ephesus, they valued the rhetoric and the eloquence of the philosophers. But Paul is emphasizing sincerity and love in order to edify those in the church. All right, so we'll finish with this. From whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. You look at a building, every joint is needed. Every joist is needed. Every screw and every rivet and every piece of material, whether metal or wood, you look at the complexity of the building and every piece is essential. Paul goes on and he says, according to the proper working of each individual part, God is causing the growth, causing the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Wow. Let's thank our God. Father, we are together in this. We do belong to each other. We sometimes feel like an individual part. We have our own uniqueness, our personality, our background, but we are part of something greater, and each one of us deeply valued. We are so grateful for the truth of our unity, and we're so grateful that you're with us and in us, and you bond us and fuse us together We love each other. We do love each other at a heart level. We don't always act like it, but we love each other. We have a loving heart and a patient heart and a new heart where you dwell forever. Thank you for making us new. 
thank you that we don't have to be better, but we're simply growing into whom you've already made us. In Jesus' name, amen.